While you're turning, I want to uh, add also a special welcome to some of our college students that are back. We're, we're glad you're home for the summer. We miss you. We love you. We're praying for you and uh, hope that we can enjoy you during these few weeks together. If you will excuse me, I'm going to uh, take off my tie, not, not my coat. It's too tight. And uh, if men can take off their coats and hang them up, surely a guy can uh, keep his coat on and take his tie off. <laughs> I want to preach on something today quite um, out of the blue. You probably will wonder, why is he preaching on that? Well, let me tell you what it is, and then I'll make a comment about that. I want to <clears throat> help us understand this morning from the Word of God what it is that we should do when someone curses us. I'm not talking about what to do when you're in a group and someone curses and they're using bad language. That's a different question. What should we do? How should we respond when someone curses us or reviles us? That is to say, denounces us with abusive language. What is it that we should do when someone just plain abuses us or treats us unjustly? That's what I want to answer. And I want to quickly insert this disclaimer. I'm not preaching on that because I'm going through that right now or have just come through it or anticipate going through that tomorrow. Sometimes we do preach on things that we have recently experienced because those things drive us to the Word of God and we have to share from the overflow. I'm bringing this subject to your minds because surely if you haven't already experienced something along these lines, you will. I forewarn you that as a child of God, as a Christian living in this world, and particularly as it continues to um, degenerate, you will be cursed. You will be reviled. You will be abused, and you will be unjustly treated. How do you respond to that? What is the biblical response? Well, I am going to deal with this very simply today. First, I want to show you biblically what we should do, and then secondly, I want to illustrate it biblically, show you two people who did what we're supposed to do, and then finally, I want to bring a few practical applications for all of us. So let's consider together what it is that we must do whenever we are cursed or reviled. And the, what I'm going to suggest especially pertains to being cursed or reviled. I mentioned when you are cursed, when you are reviled, when you are abused, when you are unjustly treated. Those last two could be actions as opposed to words. Sometimes we are abused. Sometimes we are treated unjustly, and it doesn't have so much to do with words. Cursing and reviling have to do with words. So the first thing that I'm going to submit to you especially relates to...
to verbal abuse, when someone denounces us in abusive language. And I would summarize what I want to say to you concerning that very simply by saying, first of all, we must not be fearful. Don't be fearful. Three words. Don't be fearful. Is it fearful? Why would I be fearful? Well, sometimes people who are sensitive and aware of their own sinfulness and aware of how much divine chastisement they probably really do deserve are prone to take a cursing seriously and go away sometimes from it, even if it comes from the mouth of a wicked and vile person, a little bit troubled, a little disconcerted, a little bit fearful. What if that came to pass? And I want to encourage you, assuming that you don't deserve to be cursed, first of all, respond by not being fearful. Take comfort in this fact that if you don't deserve to be cursed or reviled, that is to say, if God Himself is not behind the cursing and affirming it, because sometimes God is behind curses, If he isn't behind it, it cannot, it will not come to pass. You should not be troubled by it. You should not worry about it. You should not give it a second thought. You should walk away in peace. Now I'm going to show you why I give you that counsel. We've turned to Proverbs 26. And surely you have read this verse before, but maybe not pondered it. Would you notice verse 2? Like a sparrow in its flitting. Flitting, boys and girls, just means flying around quickly and flying all over the place. Like a sparrow in its flitting. Or like a swallow, that's another bird, in its flying, a curse that is causeless, a curse that has no warrant, a curse that God Himself will not affirm, does not alight. I think some of the translations say the curse causeless doesn't come. You may sometimes wish that the sparrow flying around, especially if you're a child, would just come down and land on your shoulder and just so that you could see it, pat it. I remember when I raised pigeons as a young boy. I uh, clipped their feathers so they couldn't fly and they would learn to sit on your shoulder and make laundry challenges for mom. <laughs> That's putting it nicely. But it was fun. And surely you've seen birds before that you wish you could just call them and say, come here, come. I want to see you close. No, a sparrow that is flitting around and a, and a swallow that is flying never lights on you. I mean, how many here have actually had a bird, not one trained, come and land on you? If you did, <laughs> Maury has. And Maury, were you, were you drinking that day? <laughs> His wife, Opal, had one. <laughs> okay. 
one person. <laughs> um, it's not what you expect. It's not what you should worry about. And Solomon comes to us in this text and he says, look, just like a bird flying around or a sparrow, a curse that is without warrant, that is not deserved, it wasn't earned, there's no cause for it, that curse isn't going to come to pass. It's not going to come to pass. And so I'm saying to all of us, when this happens, don't be fearful. Now, what do I really mean by a curse? I, I probably should have answered that question first. But I'm going, to, um, I'm going to use some language that I wouldn't normally use in the pulpit. And I'm not taking God's name in vain. I'm helping you understand what a curse is. A curse is when, for example, someone says to you, God damn you. People say that all the time. Usually they don't mean anything, but when they're really mad at you and they say that, that is a curse. That is their desire for the real, true, and living God, if He really exists, to come and send you to hell. And sometimes that's how the curse comes. People say things like this. Boys and girls, never, ever, ever use this language. And when you hear this language... May your heart be quickly saddened. Sometimes people say, when they're angry, go to hell. That's a curse. That's the biblical meaning of a curse. A curse is asking God to do something bad to somebody. A word that you adults will understand is it's a malediction. It's not a benediction at the end of the service today. Pastor Keith is going to deliver a good word. A malediction. And some of you have heard, for example, about the imprecatory psalms. An imprecation. Another big word. This is an adult word. This is for the big people. David sometimes, out of a pure heart, with righteous indignation, wished judgment upon his enemies because they were God's enemies. And he prayed some pretty terrible things. We better be careful about that because most of us don't have David's heart and we're not the king of his covenant nation. But a curse is a malediction. It's a terrible hoping for awful judgment to come upon someone. And a lot of times it doesn't include the name God or the word damn or the word hell. Sometimes people just say things, hurtful things like, I hope you lose your job. I hope you never come back here. I hope I never see you again. I hope you never get well. That's what a curse is. And by the way, reviling, it's just denouncing someone with abusive language. It's not necessarily asking God to get involved, but when people say things like this in their anger, you're a stupid idiot. You're a worthless human being. I hate you. I can't stand your guts. That's reviling. And there's a thousand ways to revile people. Now, So that's what I have in mind. Now, I'm just saying to you, when, when you become the object of someone's curse or someone's reviling, and you know that you don't deserve it. 
the first thing you have to say to yourself is, I'm not going to be fearful about that curse because God has already told me that a causeless curse is about as likely to come to pass as it is that a bird's going to come down and land on my shoulder so that I can pet it. The curse, causeless, does not come. And so you should take comfort. That's the very first thing. So, number one, what do we do? We refuse to be fearful. Number two, and these first two things are things that we shouldn't do. The last two things are things that we should do. The second thing that we should not do, I would summarize by say, saying, don't be retaliatory. Don't retaliate. Don't get back. Don't try to get even. Don't be vindictive. Don't give it right back to the person. Don't respond in like manner. I'm going to tell you what to do in a moment, positively, but right now, again, this is something not to do. Don't be fearful. Don't retaliate. Don't try to vindicate yourself. And I'm going to show you that as well, biblically. So will you turn now to the New Testament for just a moment, to Romans chapter 12. And notice this really practical advice from the Apostle Paul. I especially want you to notice verse 17. And he's talking about persecution and being treated wrongly. And he says, Repay no one evil for evil. That means don't retaliate. Don't repay. Don't try to get even. Don't say something back to the person that's just as bad. It's so easy to do that because we get so quickly angered and distressed by hurtful things that are said to us. And almost at the speed of light, our mind suggests to us something equally evil to give back to the person. And how many times have we been guilty of that? And the moment our brain tells us, I'm being cursed, I'm being reviled, Not only should we say, I'm not going to worry about the curse coming to pass. Actually, in a logical order, probably this is the first thing we should do. Say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to curse back. I'm not going to revile back. I'm not going to repay. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold my tongue. It's only later, perhaps, when you go home that you start thinking about, I wonder if that could happen. No. The curse causeless will not come. So, as I present it, the first thing is don't be fearful. The second thing is don't be vindictive. So, boys and girls, to be vindictive means to vindicate yourself. It means to get even. It means to get back. It means to repay. It's giving them back the same thing they gave you. Don't do that. Don't do that to your brother. Don't do that to your sister. Don't do that to anyone. Because that's not what God wants. And you have to remember at that particular time that 
Vengeance, vengeance is repaying someone what they deserve. Vengeance belongs to God. Since we're in Romans 12, I just want you to notice verse 19. Romans 12:19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't get even. Don't vindicate. Don't retaliate. Don't repay. Don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Literally, in the Greek, it, it says, give place to the wrath of God. Here I am in a situation and I want to get even and I want to talk back and I want to give that person what they deserve. And what I need to do is step aside and say, no, it's up to God. I'm going to give place to you, God, and your wrath. You're the only one that has the right to revenge someone. I give place to you. That's what we have to do. And this takes tremendous grace, takes tremendous self-control. But we can do that by the grace of God. And so Paul quoting from Deuteronomy 32:35 reminds the Christians in Rome that vengeance belongs to God, not to us. Okay, those are the two things that we're not to do. Don't be fearful, don't repay. What should we do positively? The third thing that we need to do is to bless our enemy or bless this person who's persecuting us or bless this person uh, who is our adversary. Now, what does bless mean? You know, sometimes we use that wrong. We say, boy, he really blessed him out. That's a complete misuse of the word. We know what people mean when they say, I really got blessed out today. No, you got cursed out today. Blessing is wishing something good. It's exactly the op- opposite. It's what Pastor Keith will be doing. The benediction is wishing, by the grace of God, good things upon the congregation. So a blessing would be to say, when someone says to us, I hate your guts, I can't stand you, I hope I never see you again, I hope you go to hell. A blessing says, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I wish things to go well for you. I wish God's grace for you. I hope you get the job. That's what a blessing is. A blessing is a wish. And in a sense, when we bless one another, it's prayer. You know, I, there is, there's an individual in our church who's so good at this. And when I'm talking to her and saying, you know, I really need some wisdom for this particular situation coming up this afternoon, she says, well, may the Lord give you all that you need. In Jesus' name, amen. I was used to, may the Lord give you all that you need. But I wasn't used to, in Jesus' name, amen. She understands that a blessing is a prayer. God is witness to what I'm saying. And it's as if saying, Father, may what we have just thought together about and what I just wished upon my friend come to pass. That's a blessing. We need to bless people that curse. We need to bless people. Um, what's the word I was using that revile us? Bless them. Don't be fearful. Don't retaliate. But bless them in return. Now, we're still in Romans, so I can show you this, starting with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse them. You see, that's the positive now. I already said, don't retaliate. Don't curse them back. Don't repay. Bless them. And then he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or associate with, uh, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, and here's another way we can bless people. You don't just bless people with words, you bless them with actions. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And all that means is that when, when a blacksmith was trying to mold and shape something, he would put burning coals on it so that it would be moldable. And then he could hammer it and bend it and shape it into what he wanted. So putting burning coals on people's head isn't punishment. It isn't cruel. It isn't getting, you know, getting even with them. Say, so, boy, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to put some burning coals on that person's head. That's not what the Bible means. Okay? Just think of the blacksmith. And then he says this in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good! Somebody's cursing me. That's evil. What is it I'm not supposed to do? I'm not supposed to repay repay them. I'm not supposed to curse them back. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to bless them with my words and with my actions. And if you step back and look at it, what I'm supposed to do is I'm going to overcome evil with good. That's what we're supposed to do. And the Lord Jesus said this very, very specifically. If I could just turn you to one more passage on this subject. Luke 6.28. And then I come to my fourth thing that we are to do. My fourth and last thing. Luke 6. This is very parallel to the things Jesus said on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 6.28. But I'll start with verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now here's the phrase. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. He didn't say, um, wait till you feel good about them. Go home and pray that God will help you to love them. And feel kindly toward them. No. You may not feel emotionally like doing that. It doesn't mean that you have great affection in your soul for them. It means that you don't want them to go to hell. You don't want them to pay for their sin. You want them to be saved. You want God to be gracious to them. And so, bless them. Bless the people who curse you. There's three. Don't be fearful. Don't repay. Bless. And now the last thing I want to suggest is that we entrust ourselves to God. And that's sort of implied in the Romans passage. Vengeance belongs to me, says God. Do you think I'm big enough to take care of you? Do you need to defend yourself? 
Am I not an able defender? Step aside. Give place to me. And entrust yourself to God. And by the way, knowing that God is the only one who has the right to revenge us, I don't think we should conclude that what I need to do is just ask God, so God, will you, will you bring vengeance upon them? Since vengeance is yours, I'm going to step aside and give place to you and hope that you exercise vengeance. No. We're to step aside and actually pray, God, if it could please you, don't pour out wrath. Pour out mercy on this person. Be gracious to them. If vengeance must be dispensed, you alone have the right to do so. So we are to entrust ourselves to God. Now, the way I'm going to show you that is by moving to the second point. I want to show you some biblical illustrations. So what is it we're supposed to do? I've told you the four things. I want to illustrate it biblically by two people. David, King David, and the second David, capital D, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not only the first, uh, the second Adam, as there was Adam the first, there was David the first, and there's David the second. But I won't take time to prove that. So I'm going to show you in the life of David, in the life of our Savior. I'm going to show you something very interesting that I've been reading recently. And, and this perhaps gave birth to the sermon. Will you go with me back to Second Samuel and remember the case when somebody cursed David? Second Samuel chapter 16. Somebody tell me who cursed David. What was his name? Sorry? Three people said something at the same time. Shimei? Somebody said Shimei. If someone else cursed him, help me. Tell me about that later. He may have been cursed by others. When you read the Psalms, he had so many people who hated him. But in 2 Samuel 16, starting with verse 5, notice something that happened. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. God, that guy's crazy. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. He's reviling him. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. He's cursing him, reviling him. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. King said, What have I have to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? In other words, David holds out the possibility that in God's strange providence and sovereignty, perhaps God Himself is affirming this. He starts with humility. He starts with the possibility that maybe I do deserve this. 
And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. You know, Absalom was trying to kill his dad. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to, at least in the sense that divine providence brought this to pass, even though Shimei was in fact guilty. David's assuming it's from the Lord. It may be that the Lord, verse 12, will look on me, on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. You know what I would say? I would say, if it were me, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay Shimei what he deserves. He says, no. He says, you know what I want? I want a blessing. I want God to bless me for being self-controlled and patient and loving and forgiving and for not being retaliatory. I want a blessing. So David and his men went on down the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. Man, that, that was quite a trial. He cursed David repeatedly and threw stones at him. And David says, no, 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 don't retaliate. Maybe this is from God. Maybe God is calling me to humility. Maybe God wants me to hear this for the good of my soul. I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm going to come overcome evil with good. And may the Lord bless me in doing so. Now, I want to fast forward real quickly to chapter 19 because eventually David is no longer running from his son because his son was killed and how that broke the heart of King David. But once it becomes apparent that David is going to be able to rule and that he's no longer in exile, everyone starts to rally around him again. And notice in chapter 19, verse 16, And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and his twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king, and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king. You can imagine how spontaneous that was. He fell down before the king. And as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant, how I did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day the first of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai the son of Zeruiah answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. This is the second time you see that Abishai wants to see Shimei dead. But David said, What have I to do with you sons of Zeruiah? That you should this day be as an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For I do not know that I am this day. Do you not know that I am this day the king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, Man, listen to these words. 
you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. That's some grace there. That's some grace. Maybe this is part of what it means that David was a man after God's own heart. But you know what? The story's not quite over. I think how Shimei felt that, and I think how much he loved David. Now fast forward one more time to 1 Kings chapter 2. David is dead. His son Solomon is now the king. And I want you to notice verse 36, 1 Kings 2, 36. Then the king, that would be Solomon, sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place whatever. For on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. So Solomon is just sort of reinforcing the protection, the sanctuary that his father gave to Shimei. He says, your blood shall be on your own head if you do this. Verse 38, And Shimei said to the king, What you say is good. As my lord the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Maacah, king of Gath. And when it was told... Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath. Shimei rose and saddled the donkey and went to Gath and Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went over and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and, and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and go any place, whatever, you shall die? And you said to me, what you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But as King Solomon, but King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. That's the end of the story of Shimei. And this teaches us a lot about bless those who curse you. Don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is God's. He will revenge. Isn't that a great example? Coming from an Old Testament saint... Very quickly, I want you to see our Savior because this is the ultimate. Turn with me to First um, Peter. And I, I can just only rush through this because I don't want the time to vanish. First Peter, chapter 2. Peter is talking especially to servants. In that context, um, there were slaves who had masters. And we can sort of produce in our minds an equivalent of employees working for their supervisors. Servants, verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, see this, when mindful of God, God is watching this, God is listening, God is looking into my heart. 
One endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. See, now here's a new dimension to my counsel to you. We must be Christ-like when someone curses us, when someone reviles us, when someone abuses us, when someone treats us unjustly. In addition to the other things, we must be Christ-like. What was He like? Verse 23, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. What did He do? But continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Vengeance is Mine, says God. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And one of the sins that we need to die to is the sin of seeking revenge. So here's the ultimate example. Here we see, again, not only what we're not to do, but what we're supposed to do. That was the structure of my sermon. What did Jesus do when He was reviled? Did He revile back? No. When He was caused to suffer, did He threaten? You better stop doing that, because if you do that, you're going to really get it. No. He kept entrusting Himself to God. And so what that means, dear people, is that when we're enduring these kinds of things, we need to get alone. We need to... I've said this to dear women who have lived with abusive husbands who've broken their hearts again and again and again and again. Sometimes you just need to run into the bathroom, lock the door, pull the toilet seat down, get on your knees, put your elbows on the top of that toilet seat and pour your broken heart out to God. If you can go in the bedroom and lock the door, then go in the bedroom and lock the door and get on your knees and put your elbows on your bed and pour your broken heart out to God and say, God, I entrust myself to you. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to threaten. I'm not going to repay. I want to overcome evil with good. I want to be like my Savior. I want to be like David, but I really want to be like Christ. Help me, God. Please help me. And you know what will happen? He'll help you. Why would God tell us what to do when people curse us if it weren't possible? When people curse us, what are we supposed to do? Bless them. And you wives have to say to your husbands, Sweetheart, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And you husbands may need to say that to your wives. It goes both ways. And we have to say that sometimes to one another. That's real Christianity. Maybe you're still wondering, why are you preaching this? Because I think this is the real world that we all live in, and I think we all have trouble with our hearts and our mouths. And I don't think we're as Christ-like as we need to be. I'm not. I want to be more like this. I conclude with this. These are my final applications, just real rushing through them. First of all, 
I want you to remember that really the greater danger in this curse, cursing stuff is not um, receiving a curse, but giving a curse. Better be very careful about cursing anyone because God will make it come back on your head. That's what will light. And um, if I had time, I would show you in that same 26th chapter of Proverbs that um, Solomon said, people who dig a hole hoping that their enemy will fall and end up falling in their own hole. People who roll a stone hoping that it will go down and kill their enemy find that it rolls back and kills them. It's very dangerous. Let's not get into the cursing business. That's number one. Number two, we probably should be more frequently cursed. See, maybe some of you are saying, again, I don't get it. This isn't happening in my life. Well, I hope it doesn't, but I'm saying something a little different. I have a feeling that if we were more radical in our Christianity, more bold in our Christianity, more loving, more energetic in our witnessing, more ambitious in talking to people about the Lord... I have a feeling that we would be cursed more often. Because our Bible says that all they who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I think the degree of our godliness has a whole lot to do with how little this happens to us. Number three, whenever we are cursed, let's benefit from it. Let's hope with David that God giving us grace He will bless us for being what He wants us to be. Let's turn curses into an opportunity to be humble, to repent, to say, God, I probably do deserve this curse, but I'm so thankful that You're gracious. Number four, if there is such a thing as a caused or a causeless curse, what does logic tell you about Proverbs 26.2? The curse cause less shall not come. Does that make any sense if there isn't such a thing as a curse that does have cause? Let's be aware of that. And especially let's be aware of it spiritually because as I turn you to my final passage in Galatians chapter 3, this is it, you will see that every one of us are in our unconverted state under the curse, under a curse. In Galatians 3, you will see that if you're not a Christian, you are under a curse. And that curse is the curse of God's law. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on Works of the law are under a curse. And if we haven't fled from that law to Jesus Christ, we will come under the curse of that law yet. And that curse will say, God damn you. And that curse will be articulated by the lips of our Savior who will someday say, Matthew 25, verse 41, Depart from me, 
ye cursed into everlasting fire. And when you think about uncaused curses, how can you not think about the Lord Jesus Christ? From a human viewpoint, in one sense, if ever there was a person who didn't deserve to be cursed, it was our Savior. Who cursed him? His Father. Why did he curse him? Because he had become the representative sinner. And our sins were placed upon him. Some of us were privileged to hear R.C. Sproul preach on the curse-bearing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jonathan has a blog that has eight minutes of that sermon. You cannot listen to it without getting tears in your eyes. It will break your heart. Because Sproul points out that at the pinnacle of the judgment that was falling upon Christ, it was as if God said to him, I, God, damn you. He damned his son. He damned his son. Jesus went to hell in a sense. Or if you like to put it differently, hell came to Jesus. He was abandoned by God. He was under nothing but wrath because He was being cursed. The One who deserved no curse, but came to be the curse bearer so that we won't receive the curse of Christ who says, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting punishment. We're all under the curse of the law. And we'll come under the curse of our Savior if we don't trust the Savior who came under the curse of God for us. In another sense, the curse was not causeless. It was the only way that we could be forgiven. So, if you're the kind of person who retaliates and seeks revenge and repays evil with evil and gives it right back as fast as it's dished out, you desperately need Jesus Christ. And if you have found Him, like the rest of us who are Christians, we need to become more and more like Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for instruction in Your Word as to how we should respond when people curse us or revile us or abuse us or treat us unjustly. O oh Lord, help us to remember these things. Help us to take encouragement and not fear, knowing that a causeless curse will not come. Help us not to repay. Help us to bless. Help us to entrust. And help us to be like our Savior. Lord Jesus, thank You for taking the curse we deserve upon Yourself. Help us to love and trust You for that wonderful work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In your song sheet, please, we'll sing a wonderful, merciful Savior. The first verse and then the chorus.
wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Let's stand to sing.